All right, James 1, we're going to read verses 22 to 25. James 1, verses 22 to 25. And then uh, we'll go to Acts chapter 8, and we'll read that passage. And Acts 8 will be kind of our uh, passage that we'll keep referring back to. Okay, here we go. James 1, verse 22 to 25. I'll read it. Follow along here. It says, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Let's go now to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, and we are going to pick up on verse 29, and we'll read all the way to verse 39. Pardon me, let's back up to verse 26. That's it. Acts 8.26. That's what we're going to pick up at. Acts 8.26. And notice there, this is a story of two men here and meeting out in the wilderness. And one's a Jew, one's an Ethiopian. And a wonderful thing happens there. Notice Acts 8.26. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, verse 27, he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, had come to Jerusalem for to worship, verse 28 says, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah, Esaias the prophet. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Esaias and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip. They went down into, both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Verse 39, And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more. And he, the eunuch, went on his way rejoicing. We'll stop right there. So here we have a story of a man reading the Bible, figuring it out, and then doing something with it. All right, so this Bible, I, 
I really like for me. I kind of for me, I prefer the Cambridge uh, Bibles. Not that Cambridge is not a translation. Cambridge is a college and a Bible producer. I, I kind of like the Cambridge Bibles because they're very well made. And this one I have. I've had several of them. This last one is actually the oldest I've ever gotten. This Cambridge Bible, printed in England usually, and the date you can actually find the date when they are printed. If you look at the book of Revelation on the last page, it'll say the year. This, um, this, Bible was, this Bible says 1970. Now, is when it was made, you know, bound together, this Cambridge Bible. My wife, this is like three years ago, I think. My wife knew I was kind of looking for a Cambridge Bible, and I typically don't buy them brand new from Cambridge because they're over $100 usually, and they have different types. Not, they have different translations, but they even have different types of layout. And I got this one, and I was looking for it, but I'm like, I'm not going to buy it brand new, a brand new one, because it's like, again, it's at least $100 because they're so well made. So I was like, well, let's look online. And my wife ended up looking online for me, and she ended up getting this one for me uh, on like, I don't know what it was, Amazon, eBay, something. And she got it. And when I got it, it was it was unused. I couldn't, I you know, the, the gold edging, it was untouched. And I looked at it, I'm like, wow, this one's, and it's, this is good. It lays open. It's durable. I mean, I do have some pages that are getting a little dry, and I had some ripped pages. But I started looking, and I'm like, what in the world? What date is this? What is this? And it said 1970. And so at the time, it was almost 50 years old. Like, this Bible is almost 50 years old, and it not been touched. On the one hand, I'm like, that's sad. Somebody didn't mess with this. Somebody didn't read a good. I mean, it's the translation is the one you need, but they didn't. This is a well-made Bible. And they, that's sad. on the other hand, I'm like, that's cool. At least I get one. <laughs> it's in good condition, you know. It was just like sat around. So here's the question. What do we do with our Bible? What do I do with my Bible? <laughs> um, some people have a Bible as a decorative piece. You know, they might have a big family. I don't know if people do this. They used to have the big family Bible. It's a decorative piece. And you throw some stuff in there, and you write some scratch, some things in there about genealogy. Did you know that? By the way, they still can they they will still count writings in Bibles as that can carry some legal weight in under certain circumstances. Did you know that baptism certificates, writing in a Bible, of you know to record a birth, a baptism, um, they still. But people, that what's well, my decorative piece? That's my little legal piece there. One of my legal books there. Pull that out. KCIRS asked me any questions. Some, what, that's what some people do with their Bible. Some people, others, they, it's just like, it, it's just something they see once a week. I saw it on Sunday. I didn't see it again until Sunday morning. I grabbed it. Or some people, they might see it twice a week, a Sunday and a Wednesday. It's a, something they only see a couple times a week. What, what do you do with your Bible? So obviously somebody didn't do much with this Bible. And then the, 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 this guy gets to get it, and I'm like, yay! Others, they have it at, there as sort of a visual comfort. There it is right there. feel better now. You know, they're having a hard time in life, and like, where's my Bible? Just, 
Now, I don't know what it says, but it's there. That's it. See right, right there? feel better now. Some people have it as a visual comfort. Some people might have it to show off. They just have it to show off, you know. And um, I read about, <laughs> this is one of the most interesting things I read. How many of us have seen It's a Wonderful Life? Raise your hand, raise your hand, raise your hand, raise your hand. Almost everybody. All right, It's a Wonderful Life. Um, it's like now one of the most popular Christmas movies ever. It, you, when it first came out, it wasn't. It kind of took a while for it to become popular. The little girl that plays Zuzu in It's a Wonderful Life, Zuzu Bailey. It's like I think did he have like two daughters? I don't know what it was. It was one of the daughters, Zuzu. You know, she wouldn't even have that many moments in the movie, but played George Bailey's daughter. Um, I read a story about her. Her name's actually Carolyn Grimes is her name, Carolyn Grimes. And she's about, I think she's about 81, 82 years old today. I read that she said that she, Fox News did a thing, an interview with her of what was it like working with Jimmy Stewart and all this. And she said, oh, this is pretty neat. He was nice. And, and she, they, they interviewed her about how it was making this movie as a little girl. And... Um, and she told it. And then she said this in the interview. She said she never knew this, that movie was that popular for years. She said, until one day in 1980, somebody knocked on my door. I used to, she says, I lived in Kansas. Somebody knocked on my door and said, hey, um, are you that little girl in the movie It's a Wonderful Life? <laughs> she said, yeah. And she said, well, can we come in and do an interview with you? She said, sure. So they came in, and I don't know what media, I don't know who it was, but she said they came in, and they talked to her, and she said, oh, I started bringing out memorabilia and pictures and stuff, and they just took, got an interview with me. And uh, she realized the movie was becoming popular. I think it started becoming more popular in the 70s, actually, but she goes, it was being popular. And she started thinking, so she did the interview, and the, late, the person left, and then pretty soon, like the weeks and months after that, she was getting fan mail, and everybody... She's like, what is the deal with this? And then she said, I think I need to watch the movie. She'd never seen the movie. Everybody, it's like one of the most popular movies. Now then it, it was probably just climbing in Christmas popularity. But it was becoming popular. She said, I've never been. And here's her word. She said, she said, uh, I thought, well, I need to watch this movie. I have to see what's going on. She said, then I sat down and watched the film for the very first time. I was 40 years old. She says, I was just so moved when I watched this movie. She said, I was in tears. I was 40, and the film took me on an emotional roller coaster, up and down and all around. And when the movie was finally over, I realized what a masterpiece it was. I then understood why people were so interested in it still. And I started thinking about her. I thought, the, when I read that thing, the first thing that came to my mind, I'm like, this lady uh, is familiar. It's such a well-known movie. And she's familiar with it. She was in it. She knows people in it. But she never watched it. And that reminds me of Christians, the Bible. Right. We're familiar with it. I'm familiar with people in it. 
But some of us have never actually read the whole Bible. We've never actually read the whole Bible. It's kind of like, yeah, yeah, you tip the hat to the movie, we tip the hat to the Bible, but we've never read it. And here is a guy in this story back in Acts 8. We read James 1, I'll refer to that in a minute, but in Acts 8 is a guy who does something with the Bible. He only had some Isaiah, perhaps the whole book of Isaiah, the scroll, and he's reading it and he interprets it and he does something with it and the, in the, it ends, verse 39, with this guy going, Woo, what a day! He leaves rejoicing. He did something with this famous scroll and it ends with him rejoicing. My question is, okay, so we all have a Bible. We heard a, Most of us heard a lot of messages this last week. You hear them every year, 150 a year usually. And... The question is, what are we doing with it? Brother Matt, could you go out and check if there's some, somebody needs some help out there? So the question is, what are you doing with your Bible? What are you doing with the Bible messages that you hear? That's my question. Now, listen. Here in this story, back in Acts chapter 8, you have this. This is what they tell you. By the way, here's the points for the, here's the, points for the, for the message. Read, interpret, apply. That's what you do with the Bible. If, if I want when the process of the Bible or Scripture becoming something that matters or something that's important, you have to read it, you have to interpret it, and you have to apply it. That's exactly what this eunuch did. First he was reading, then he said, I need to understand this, that's interpreting. And then he wanted to apply it. The Bible says here, uh, look, go to Acts chapter 8. Verse 28, it's a, the whole scene here is of a scene out in the wilderness, out in the desert area. Verse 28 says, there was a man who was returning, sitting in his chariot, and he read Isaiah the prophet. So, Philip had been up in Jerusalem. You imagine kind of Israel up in this area. And the Holy Spirit said, go down, it's down south, kind of south and west into Gaza where there's desert. Because there's a guy from Ethiopia going back to Africa. He was up in Israel. He was interested in the God of the Jews. He was interested in them. And he's driving back in his chariot, this Ethiopian who's a, a government official. And he's driving back. Well, the Holy Spirit told Philip to go down there. It was actually the angel Lord said first to go down there. Go down there. And he went down there. He's in the middle of the desert. Like, what am I doing? Oh, there's a, there's a guy in a chariot over here riding home. Ooh, he's a government official. And then the, Holy, then the Holy Spirit said, go near and connect. Join thyself to this chariot. And so he gets near to the chariot. And the eunuch reading, sitting in his chariot reading, is probably another driver, you know. Don't text and drive. Don't read Isaiah scrolls and drive chariots. It's dangerous, you know. Uh, and he's reading, and, and, and Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? But he's reading it. You know, you know the Bible says in Isaiah 34, 16, Seek ye out of the book of God and read. Not one of these shall fail. You know what Jesus said in Luke 4? You know what Jesus did in Luke 4, 16? His early ministry, he came to the synagogue in the hometown when he was brought up. 
And he stood up and he read Isaiah the prophet. You know what Jesus said at least three times? Watch this. Watch this. At least three times in his ministry, he asked these questions to people who were Pharisees, who were supposed to be familiar, well, well familiar with the Scripture. He asked this question three different times at least. Have you not read? And the reason he did that is because sometimes they are being more restrictive than they ought to. And he says, didn't you read what David did when he was hungry? Then don't be fussy with us when we're hungry on the Sabbath. Another time, they, there were some Sadducees who had their doctrine off. And he says, didn't you read what God said to Moses? How he said he's the God of Abraham Isaac. He's the God of somebody that's alive. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then another time, I can't remember the moment right now, but he said, oh, it's about children praising. Have you not read the scripture? So Jesus asked the question to people who are familiar with the Bible in his day. Didn't you ever read that? Maybe they didn't read it. Maybe they didn't pay attention to it. But he says, have ye not read? So if I'm going to, what do you do with the Bible? Do you know what the first thing you do is you read it? You're like, man, I, can't, I came to church for this. That is so simple. I, came, I wanted something intriguing. You know what people do? You know what people, I find people do? They have lots of opinions about the Bible, lots of opinions about doctrine, about things. I find Christians who have lots of opinions about controversial things like homosexuality, drinking, drugs, money, all kinds. They have, uh, people have lots of opinions about things that are in the Bible they have lots of opinions about what they say God said, and they've never read everything God said one time. Like, read the Bible at least one time. And then another 10 years, read it again. I know it's a, such a simple thing, but this is the, um, we fail on simple things. I, I've met, I talked to somebody a while back, and they wanted to fuss with me about something about alcohol. And I'm willing to have that discussion, but I realized that person had never read the whole Bible on it. First, if we're going to say God's have some opinion about what God says, first read what God says. It's like me commenting on some legal case, and I've never read a description of a legal case. I have no opinion on something that I haven't read about. And a person has no opinion on things in the Scripture if you haven't read the things in the Scripture. Okay, so what do I do with the Bible? I can't do anything. I can't interpret the Bible. I have no interpretation, and I have no application. I don't know what I'm doing unless I've read it first. I have to read it. Did you know this? All right. Um, the Star Wars movies. I think there's 11, 11 of them. Of course, they have all kinds of little tangent things and shows and stuff, I, I, but like their main movies. It's like 11, I think it is. How many? 12? 11, 12? Well, if, there was, if there's 11, it takes 25 uh, hours to watch all of them. All right? Um, okay? The Marvel movies. And by the way, I'm not, I don't know everything in all of these. I don't. But just as a matter of fact, the Marvel movies, there's like 23 since 2008. I think there was like Hulk and Iron Man, and then da -da 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 all the way to like Endgame in 2008. There's like 23 Marvel movies. It takes 50 hours for you to watch all of those. 
And these are two, but Marvel and Star Wars, very, very popular. Very popular. And some people have tried to, I'm going to watch all of them. And if you want to do that, that's your business. At one time or in a year or in a month, whatever. 25 hours Star Wars, 50 hours all the Marvel movies. And you can say you've watched, it for seven, in 75 hours, you've watched all the, some of the most high uh, profitable movies ever. Do you know how long it takes you to read the Bible in a year? 72 hours. And some of us have watched all the Star Wars and all the Marvels maybe a couple times and have never taken 72 hours over the course of a year, which would take you 20 minutes a day, 85 verses a day, 3.25 chapters a day. If you want to do it in a year, you can get it done in a year. 110 words a minute, that's slow, reading it out loud. You could do it in 72 hours in a year. Now, some of us, it's probably best to make, make it over a year and a half, two years at first. That's sometimes how I is. I read slower. My point is, is like some people, have, they, they've committed to getting through a thing, but they're like, hey, wait a minute, have I read God's book ever? God's book. He's like, well, I did about 15 years ago when my pastor challenged us at a watch night service. If we read it through, then we get an award the next year in a watch night service. Okay, that's cool. Maybe it's 15 years. Now it's time to try it again. So my point, okay, so back to the eunuch. He's reading. Yet nothing's gonna, there's nothing going to really get developed yet in his life until he reads, or at least hears it. That's his, if a person can't read, they're reading through their ears. Some people have to read through their ears. They can't see. But reading... That's the first step. Um, Jeremiah 15, 16, Thy words were found, and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me, their joy and rejoicing in my heart, for I am called by thy name, O Lord. Um, we eat up stuff, don't we? There's some cool stuff I like to eat up, you know, to watch or to read or to listen. You know, there's some cool things that... I, when I was a kid, I liked the Guinness Book of World Records. I think I asked a few years from my parents, can you give me a new Guinness Book of World Records book for, for Christmas? And I think a couple years in a row I got it. You know, and I was like, oh, what is this? The world's tallest guy. Oh, poor guy. He only lived to 29 or something. You know? And then the person with the longest fingernails. That's disgusting. <laughs> Next one. The sh you know, that, I was like, yeah. And then, you know, just gross stuff or, you know, just, I, I was intrigued by just records. Biggest, smallest, fastest, slowest, richest, and, and it changes all the time, of course. But I was like, wow, I, I eat that stuff up. I like that. And, um, but what I need to eat up is God's word. Thy words were found, and I did eat that up. Thy words were found, I found, look at this. Thy words were found, and I did eat them. Oh, boy, I'm reading about Job. Meeting it up. Some of it's a little bitter, though. It's going to get sweet at the end. Ah, I'm reading the Proverbs. Ah, that's kind of sweet stuff there. Ah, I'm reading some Psalms. That's like orange juice. Meeting it up, drinking it up. So what do I do with the Bible? Here's what you do. Here's what we need to do. If it's going to matter at all, there needs to be the step of reading. and then this. But reading's not enough. We're going to go to the next one. Reading is not enough. Interpreting. Number two, interpret. So go back to, I, okay, so look at this guy. We talked about the eunuch. He's writing. Holy Spirit says to Philip, go check him out. Go join yourself to him. 
He sees him reading, verse 30. Philip ran thither to him and said, he heard him read. He's reading out loud. Esaias the prophet, verse 30. And Philip says, understandest thou what thou readest? Do you, my friend, understand what you are reading? And he's like, how can I accept some man should guide me? I need some help on this. I'm a little perplexed. I think he's reading this because he this may have been around uh, the end of Passover. Now watch this. This guy may have, usually if you have a, uh, a foreign proselyte that wants to come and, get, and gather with the, the Jews and kind of attach himself to Jewish religion, which is Old Testament stuff, they would usually come at Passover. Because that was big time. It was like Super Bowl, you know. And he came, he was there, he saw some things, and he probably already heard about what? Jesus, they killed the, what? They killed the guy, some say he was Messiah, some say not. Maybe he's this lamb. And so he's, the gears, I think, are going to this guy's mind. And so he's reading of all things on his way back about a lamb. He's reading this prophet, or he's reading about Jesus. And so he wants to now understand. He didn't say, yep, did my Bible reading in Isaiah today. I'm done with that. I don't know what that means. But, hey, Philip, I've read my Bible. No, he's like, I want to understand now. That's why Philip says, do you understand? Come on, I, I, I can't, I, how can I accept some answer to guide me? Come on up here. So Philip came up and, and uh, helped walk him through what it meant. One time I had a friend in, in college. His name was Josh. He, said, he told me he spoke Spanish. And I thought, maybe he does, man. I could hear him say stuff every now and then. He'd say, da 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 You know, people. I thought, man, Josh, I'm impressed. Because his parents were missionaries in Mexico for a little while, I think, to like missionaries to Jews in Mexico, something different. And so I was in college with him. One time we had like a, a, a we had like a group of people visiting our college, and um, they were from Mexico. They were from a Latin American country, or Hispanic, and they were visiting the college to see it and view it. So I'm sitting in class with them, and most of them are bilingual. There's some Hispanic uh, guys, and we're sitting in this class. And Josh hadn't <coughs> come to class yet. But Josh had opened the door. He was kind of like, he's a little bit like a class clown type. He opened the door, and he's like, hey. And everybody's like, oh, hey, Josh. He goes, oh, mi amigos. And he started, and, and they're like, ah, yeah. He goes, because he sees, like, there's some Hispanic guys there. And he's like, yeah, he's all happy. And then he just uttered, he just goes, da 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 He uttered, spouted off something. da 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 in Spanish. I'm like, wow, that's impressive. And then Josh went back out. for He had to go back out for something. And I looked over at the, one of the other guys. I was like, what did he say? He goes, nothing. <laughs> he didn't say anything. He just sounded like, he just sounded like, yeah, I'm speaking Spanish. What did he say? Nothing. The guy from Puerto Rico, nothing. He didn't say anything, man. You know? And so I was like, he just, it sounds cool, but it doesn't mean anything. And that's how some people are with the Bible. They read it like, whoa, let us open the Scriptures and read, O thou God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, thou that dwellest between. What does that mean? You know, and that's what we got to ask ourselves when we read the Bible. And Paul, he gets, he gets pretty deep, like, whoa, the depths of the riches of the fullness of knowledge of Christ, the height, the, and you're like, what is he talking about? That's, yeah, we need to figure that out. Instead of just like, that sounds so cool. I feel better about myself today. What does it mean? 
I need to interpret the Bible. Okay, Nehemiah 8.8. 8. Did you know there was a revival in Nehemiah's time when he brought some people back and they are building the wall and they, they had some minimal kind of religious things reinstated. But one of the things they said was, I think there was a time where they're all gathered together and the Bible says they heard the law read. It says they read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. And then later on, they got sad. A few verses, they're like, man, we're sad because we've blown it. And then Nehemiah says, no, you should be happy because now we've rediscovered it. Gave this interpretation. How do I, okay, so here's the question. How do I interpret the Bible? I'm going to give you four quick things. Because a lot of times people say, yeah, but there's many interpretations. You can read it, but there's so many interpretations, Pastor Henry. Your interpretation, my interpretation, that guy. Here's some basic things that even the Bible teaches us how to interpret the Bible. Here's the first thing, after you've read it, is meditate in it. Sometimes if something's important to you, you think on it. If somebody gives you a riddle, what do you do? You go, that's neat. You know? Meditate. Psalm 119.99, David said, I have more understanding than all my teachers. In other words, I've got, some, I've got the interpretation. Why? Because I meditate in thy statutes. Because thy testimonies are my meditation. Sometimes you think a little bit longer and you'll get it. Think a little bit longer, compare something with life. How do I interpret the Bible? I need to meditate in it, Psalm 119.99. How do I interpret the Bible? The second thing is compare Scripture with Scripture. 1 Corinthians 2.13, Paul says that we speak in things not which man's wisdom teaches, but the words which the Holy Ghost teaches. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. If I want to understand the Bible as I'm reading it, I'm like, well, is there some scriptures that compare with this? Maybe even a cross-reference in your Bible? Well, then compare scripture with scripture. It helps you understand it. Light shining on another angle, another angle of light shining on it. Another angle of light shining. The Bible is light. How do I interpret the Bible? Meditate in it. Compare Scripture with Scripture. And then the next thing, and this is at the top of the list still, is the Holy Spirit. Depend on the Holy Spirit of God. John 16, 13 says, The Holy Spirit shall guide you into all truth. He didn't say, Well, if you're a little young, he might not. If you're all old, then you already got it handled. Mm Mm-mm. The Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. Jesus taught this thoroughly in John 15, 16. Um, He will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. John says, and I think it's 1 John 4 or 5, he talks about, he's called the anointing that teaches us. He teaches. He's our teacher. Gives us, helps us figure out the interpretation. And then how else do I interpret the scripture? Well, do like what the eunuch did. There's some reputable person that seems like he, from all indications, seems like he knows what he's doing, has a decent life. Why don't you come guide me? That's your last step, by the way. After you've thought on it, meditated, compared scripture, then ask a consult a reasonable or some kind of reputable commentary or ask a person that, you know, that seems to be a person of, of faith. So if I'm in a, what do I do with the Bible? I read it. You could do it. I interpret it, but reading it, interpreting it, watch me. It's not enough. It's not enough. There are, 
watch this, there are thousands of books about the Bible, about things in the Bible. There are lots and lots of online things, right? Online Bible, I don't care if you do these things too. Online Bible studies, online this, online that. Um, there's a lot of Bible studies out there that aren't even connected with churches. We're going to have a little Bible study over here in the coffee shop. Fine, go to it. There's Bible studies all over the place in America. Meanwhile, we're, we're becoming Sodom and Gomorrah. There's all that stuff. And there's books and helps and helps and books. It's too much, even good ones. There's a lot of good commentaries and helps. And it's almost, there's so much. All it amounts to is I've read it, now tell me what it means. And it ends there. The Bible, it's not enough to read it and interpret it. You have to apply it. Let me give you an example. I've told you about this before. One of the funniest commercials, but it's so serious that I've seen it. It's like in less, I think it's like less than 40 seconds. It's called the Royal Bank of Scotland. It's a commercial I had like 10 or 15 years ago. I was watching this one day. I'm like, that is so interesting. There's these people, there's these professionals. They're dressed, you know, they got their shirt and tie, and they're sitting around a table at a nice restaurant. And they're sitting there, and um, there's like a man, uh, another man, and they a lady, and another. There's like four of them at this table. They're eating like this. It's a nice restaurant. And, and it goes like this. The, that guy next to him right here starts choking. He's like, and the guy sitting to the right goes, hey, isn't Jacobson uh, choking? And he looks across at the guy. He goes, isn't Jacobson choking? And the guy across is like, yeah, he's definitely choking. He's like, yeah, he's choking. And the guy sitting there, he goes, he just, he starts to get up for a minute and put his neck, he goes, you know, I, I read about this, I read about this technique. It's called the Heimlich Maneuver. Meanwhile, this guy's going, oh, and the guy's sitting next to him, he goes, yeah, you know what, guys, there's this really cool thing, it's called the Heimlich Maneuver. You make your fist, and you press, and he starts describing the Heimlich Maneuver while the guy's choking. And he's trying to impress him, look, I know how this works, I know how to get a guy that's choking out of this. And he's just talking to his two other co-workers how great this was. And they're like, yeah, that's pretty nice. They're, they're watching us pretty. And he's describing the Heimlich maneuver. And he's going on and on. Meanwhile, there's another table over here. And there's a guy, he sees the guy choking. He doesn't say anything. He stands up while that guy's still talking, describing the Heimlich maneuver. Gets up, goes over, grabs the other guy that's choking, picks him up and goes <laughs> like that and does the Heimlich maneuver on him. And when he goes <laughs> like that, the guy's still talking about the Heimlich maneuver. <laughs> And as he does that, the meat goes, boom, right across this, to this other guy that said, yeah, Jacobson was choking. And he goes, and the guy goes like this. And when that happens, the guy that's still describing it says, oh, yeah, see, told you it works. And then the commercial ends with, make it happen. And that's what I really, I think a lot of Christianity is that table right there. Most Christianity in America is that table. We want to sit around and talk about, you realize how lost the lost man. Do you realize how dead in sin he is? Do you realize how much we need prayer? Do you realize how ungodly it is out there? And nobody's saving anybody. Nobody's, where it's a lot of chatter, it's a lot of stuff around a table, a lot of hot air, a lot of caffeinated breath, and no action. And the Bible says you should read it, we need to interpret it, but we need to apply it. The Bible says in Joshua 1.8, he says, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein, day and night, that thou mayest observe to get a degree. No. That thou mayest observe to do 
all that is written there. And for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. And we read about James 1, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. For if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man beholding his natural face in a glass. That's a mirror. He looks at himself, and it's pretty interesting. And straightway goes his way, straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoever takes the perfect law of liberty and looks there and continues there, and he being not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, he responds to what he sees. This man shall be blessed in his deed. And so I think of um, what I'm trying to encourage us today is we need to read it, we need to interpret it, we need to apply it. Apply what you know about prayer. Apply what you know about a person who's lost and giving the gospel to them. Apply what you know about trusting God and fasting and, and, and loving your wife and sacrificing for them. And you as a child, apply what you know about submitting to your parents and being nice to your, uh, nice to your uh, brothers and sisters and being gracious. Apply it. Apply it. Else, we're just people sitting at this table. And meanwhile, there's lots of problems going on, but we know how to sit there and diagnose them and do nothing about it. So apply. All right, so here, the Bible teaches us to apply with faith. Hebrews 4.12, the Bible says that Israel, the word preached, was pre the gospel was preached to them as it was to us, the writer says, but the word that was preached to the Israelites in the wilderness did not profit them, not because they didn't read it or hear it, not because they didn't interpret it, because the word preached to them was not mixed with faith. J.B. Weld does not work unless you have the catalyst and the hardener and the other stuff. It won't profit unless it's mixed. The word preached to the Israelites, they heard it, they interpreted it, they had, they had the people that could help, them, but they did not believe it. So when we apply the Bible, you have to believe. That's why sometimes I know, or most of you have been in this church a long time, that's why I still ask, do you believe this stuff? Do you believe this or not? Because I don't want to play games. And I don't want you playing games and acting like, you know. It's one thing to say, I don't believe it. It's another thing to say, I do believe it and act like. It's another thing to come and act like you believe it but not. But when you believe it and you mix it with faith, you'll mix it with action and it profits. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto. According to thy word, he actually heeds the very words of God and does them as it relates to temptation, as it relates to trusting God, as it relates to hard work ethic. He takes heed thereto. I need to apply it with Christ in mind. So read, interpret, apply. Apply with faith, apply with Christ in mind. This is one, we're wrapping this up. This is one thing, when we read the Bible, you got to think this. This is, got to keep thinking of the big picture. What does this have to do with Jesus. This is trying to make me go to Jesus because I'm, I've blown it in the law that I read, go to Jesus to be saved, or to go like Jesus because I am saved. <laughs> read it with the Christ in mind. John 5, 39, Jesus said, Search the Scriptures. Go ahead. In them you think you have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. The big picture is about me, Jesus says. It's not about law. It's not about Phariseeism. It's not even about the, the wonderfulness of a local church. The big picture, it's about me, he says. The, the Bible says that um, Peter said, To him give all the prophets witness. They're all talking about him. So this man, back in Acts 8, what does it say? He read it. He interpreted it. Philip helped him interpret it. He wanted to apply it. Look what it says in verse 36. When he went on their way, He's like, here's water. I want to I do the application here. I want to be baptized. 
What hinders me from applying this? What hinders me from being baptized? Well, he says, if you believe with all your heart, you may. He said, I believe. So he believes, and then he gets baptized. He applies it. And then verse 39, at the end of verse 39, the story ends. He went on his way rejoicing. Jesus said, if you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. I read, I wish I could tell you the whole story. I'm not going to tell you the whole story, but I'll close with this. The story is really encouraging to me. There's a guy, maybe some of you have heard of him, uh, a Vietnam POW named Howard Rutledge. He, used to, he was a naval pilot. He flew bef before this, uh, this incident here. He flew 200 missions in Korea and Vietnam bombing missions. Well, on a little after the 200th, he was shot down in North Vietnam. I'm going to read some of this. He parachuted into a little village, and he was immediately, again, North Vietnam, Southeast Asia, gets shot down, parachutes in this little village, and he's immediately captured, stripped naked, and imprisoned. For the next, they made a, I think they made a documentary of this in the 70s. For the next, this is like 1965, this happened. For the next seven years, this is what his life was like. He endured brutal treatment. His food was little more than a bowl of rotting soup with a glob of pig fat, skin, and hair and all. Rats, this, I remember my dad saying something about this when he was in Vietnam. Rats the size of cats and spiders as big as fists scurried around him. He was frequently cold, alone, and tortured. He was sometimes shackled in excruciating positions and left for days in his own waste. He would develop uh, sores and pain from carnivorous insects who would bore uh, through his oozing sores. And, but the question is, how did he keep his sanity? And he wrote a book. I have not read this book, but I've read these excerpts. In his book, In the Presence of Mine Enemies, he gives a powerful testimony as to the importance of Scripture memory. Now, what I'm, I can't read all this to you. I'll read some of you. But he describes one of the first things he did was try to recall the Bible verses and, and hymns he'd learned in church. I'll read some of this. Now he says, The sights and sounds and smell of, of death were all around me. My hunger for spiritual food soon outdid my hunger for a steak. Now I wanted to know about that part of me that will never die. Now I wanted to talk about God and Christ in the church. But in heartbreak, the place where he was at, solitary confinement there, there was no pastor, no Sunday school teacher, no Bible, no hymn book, no community of believers to guide and sustain me. I had completely neglected the spiritual dimension of my life up to that point. And then he says this, I took prison to show me how empty my life is without God. So I had to go back to my memory, to those Sunday school days in Tulsa, Oklahoma, in a Southern Baptist church. I didn't have a hymn book. And I didn't have a Bible, but I was trying to rebuild them in my mind. And he describes how he would try to, he'd take time. What was that song? What was that song? He's trying to, he's trying to counsel himself through this stuff. 
And he remembered when there was a rainstorm. He's like, oh, I remember this song, Showers of Blessing. He started singing Showers of Blessing, Showers of Blessing to himself. And then he'd remember another hymn. Oh, yes, and you remember that hymn or a kid's song. And then one time he remembered a song his mom would hear on a radio when she listened to a Christian radio program. Heavenly sunshine, heavenly sunshine, flooding my soul. Hallelujah, Jesus is mine. He, and then he said, I was trying to recount this to help myself. And then scriptures, he said, uh, one, he says, one of my fellow prisoners was struggling like me to rediscover his faith, to re- reconstruct in this place their value system. Harry Jenkins was his name. He said, he lived in a cell near, near mine through much of my captivity. Often we'd use those priceless seconds of communication in a day to help one another recall scripture and verse stories, ver- scripture verses and stories. One day I heard him whistle back to me. When the cell block was clear, I waited for his communication thinking it was some important news. He got back at me. He says, listen, I got a new one. What? I don't know where it comes from or why I remember it, but it's a story of Ruth and Naomi. He said, then he went on to tell about the story of Ruth and how that Ruth was following Naomi to kind of a hostile land, but, but she found God's presence and protection there. I'm like, yeah, I think I remember that one too. And he just started sharing and reconstructing that to himself. And that's what they fed on, that thought and those musing of that. He said, I was thinking of it, rebuilding it in my mind, thinking about what it meant, and applying God's ancient words to our predicament. He said this, how I struggled to recall those scriptures and hymns that I'd spent my first 18 years in Southern Baptist Sunday School, but I was amazed at how much I could recall. I had not seen the importance of memorizing scripture then, but but now I see that they were are important. He said, I never dreamed that I would spend seven years, most five of them in solitary confinement. I never dreamed that I'd spend seven years in a prison in North Vietnam and that thinking, I never dreamed that Listen to this, that thinking about one Bible verse would get me through a day. That's what he said. This is my comfort and my affliction, for thy word hath quickened me. The psalmist said that, Psalm 119, 150. He said, one portion of a verse I remember was thy word have I hid in my heart. How often I wish I'd hid God's word in my heart. I'd put my mind to work every day. I'd planned to accomplish certain tasks. I woke early, did my physical exercise, cleaned up the best I could, then began a period of devotional prayer and meditation. I would pray, hum hymns silently, quote scripture, and think about what the verse meant to me. Remember, my friends, we weren't playing games here. The enemy knew the best way to break a man's resistance was to crush not his body, but his spirit in a lonely cell. He said, in other words, some of my other fellow POWs, after being in solitary confinement, would finally just lay down in a fetal position and die. It wasn't their body that was being broken. So he says, all of this talk of scripture and hymns may seem boring to some of you, but it was the way we conquered our enemy and overcame the power of death around us. That made a difference for him. By the word of thy lips have I kept me from the path of the destroyer. That makes a difference, right? I can live without a bunch of other stuff I read, but I can't live without this, and neither can you. And I hope we don't this year. 
I don't care if you read the Bible through in a year. I really don't. I hope you read it all the way through sometime. Most of all that we apply it.